Merry Christmas, y'all. Merry Christmas Eve. All through the modular, not a creature was stirring. Bob's got me trained now. I don't call it trailer. It's a modular. There's a difference. Um, you know, right after the service, we're making like a mad dash to Kentucky. Uh, but skipping this service was just never in my mind. And uh, there's something about worshiping on Christmas. Um, it's not that our it's not that our worship is any more genuine or it's somehow it's more spiritual, but it's just something about celebrating Emmanuel on Christmas that's just uh, um, just fulfills my heart. And um, and so thank you for coming. I know a lot of you all may have commitments immediately after. Um, and I, I thank you for making this a priority because I think worshiping with other Christians on Christmas, as we're going to see this morning, Christmas has become so about so many other things. Um, this morning, we want to make sure that we make Christmas about the gift, and that is um, the incarnate God. We've arrived at our last Sunday of Advent. Our first Sunday, we looked at Emmanuel. Our second Sunday, we learned about the wise men laying down their treasures. Last week, we learned about Herod coming and slaughtering innocents, but God delivered His deliverer. Uh, and this morning, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 8, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, we're going to learn about the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. So you want to stand for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And this is what the Holy Spirit says. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in, in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Father, this morning, teach us what it means to worship on Christmas. Father, teach us what it means, what, what is truly the spirit of Christmas. Father, avert our hearts and our minds away from all of those foolish, temporary things that don't last. 
Blind us to our own glory. Blind us, Father, from all of our own vain pursuits and fix our eyes upon Jesus, the reason for the season. And Father, give us a knowledge of the goodness and the holiness and the excellence and the perfection of Your name in Christ. And all these things we ask in Your Son's name. Amen. And they be seated. The title of this sermon this morning is called The Glory of Christmas, and the reason I named it that is very simple. Three times in this passage, the word glory comes up. More importantly, that word is central to the meaning of this story that we're reading. Verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. I think the first question we should ask this morning is this. What is glory? In the Hebrew, the Hebrew word kabod or kabood. I don't know. I'll, I'll let Lee explain that. I can't pronounce things. Kabood means weight or heaviness. In Greek, doxa means splendor or power or grandeur. Um, I would actually just refer to uh, my boy John Piper on this. He describes God's glory as, quote-unquote, you may be learning about this in your Desiring God series. He, he quotes, the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. That's how he defines it. I love that. I'm going to repeat that. John Piper describes God's glory as this, the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. It's the beautiness and greatness and excellence and perfection and everything that God is on display. However we explain glory, one thing is abundantly clear in Scripture, and that's this. Glory is not private. It's not self-contained. It's public. It's on display. It's to be held, it's to be seen, it goes out, it goes forth. It's reflected. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Exodus 33.18, what I think is one of the most awesome passages in the entire Bible. Moses says famously, show me your glory. Anywhere we see God's glory, God is displaying. God created the world so that His glory could be known, it could be seen, it could be loved. The problem of sin, Paul says in first um, in Romans chapter 1, is that we prefer our own glory. Quote-unquote, we've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of man and birds and, and such. Here in this text, the shepherds are appreciating and they're experiencing God's glory, but notice what it says in verse 9. Notice how the shepherds respond to being swept up in God's glory. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I think that's, that's important. Do you notice a pattern when it comes to God's glory and people experiencing God's glory? Moses asked to see it, and what did God say? You can't handle the whole thing. Shepherds see it and they're swept up in it. It shines around them and they're filled with great fear. God's glory is an astonishing, captivating, even terrifying thing. 
The miracle of Christmas is that God is taking flesh so that sinners can finally behold His glory and not be paralyzed by it. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Christmas is about beholding the glory of God in Christ. It's about God's glory and not our own. The problem in our American consumeristic culture is that Christmas has become less and less about God's glory and more about our glory. Kelly and I are tackling the whole Santa Claus question right now with our kids. You know, as any any Christian family should. Now, I don't know if I think Kelly's family pumped Santa. My family, you better believe we pumped Santa. My dad was like the master of Santa. How many people like my dad was like the one? Oh wait a minute! I think I think I heard he's in Toledo right now. You know that kind of stuff. Like what? What? I mean, I thought Dad had like a little microphone with Santa. That is not sinful in my mind. I just I've heard a lot of people go, well, it's just dishonest to the kids. I mean, no more dishonest than when I say and I'm convincing Roman that I have his nose. <laughs> um, a lot of parents think it's a, you know it's it's lying. I don't. I, we've agreed that we think we're gonna we're gonna pump Santa and do the whole Santa thing. Until they get old enough to understand, and then we're going to make sure they understand it's, Christmas isn't about Santa. So it's, we, we're going to probably phase Santa out pretty quick. But the spirit of Christmas for kids, um, we just feel like they should enjoy that. But here's the thing. For me, it's not about lying or dishonest. The reason I want to kind of, as soon as they can understand, the reason I want to make sure that it stops being about Santa is because I want my children to behold the glory of God in every way and I don't want anything in front of that. This isn't about me being kind of the, the really hoity-toity, kind of, you know, really um, parenting purist who doesn't want Santa. Hey, get that Santa stuff out of here. It's not about Santa. It's about God. I don't want one thing. I don't want one person to take away from the glory of the incarnation and the glory of Emmanuel in the eyes and the hearts of my children. That's the point. That's the glory of Christmas. I mean, think about it. In American culture, just think about how many Christmas figures exist today that can potentially avert our minds and our hearts away from the glory of the incarnate God. I mean, just yesterday, I was trolling TV. It's a Saturday, don't judge. And I saw Santa Claus, Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Charlie Brown Christmas, Muppet Christmas Carol, Die Hard, if you count that as a Christmas story. I don't know if you do or not. (laughs) Take your pick, and there's a version of Christmas for you. Now, I want to be very clear. Minus the diehard, none of those things are bad. But you better believe, you know, I mean, I just, I just want to be clear on that. I will watch Charlie Brown Christmas. There ain't nothing wrong with Charlie Brown Christmas. I'll watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and you better believe my kids are going to know about Frosty. But none of them have anything to do with Jesus. None of them have anything to do with beholding the glory of the King. 
Here's just a couple examples. I was thinking about how we can slowly start to morph Christmas into something else. When I was growing up, I absolutely loved, I still do, The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. Raise your hand if you've seen that movie. If you haven't, you need to go and watch it today. It's about a guy who becomes Santa Claus and then he gets shot up to the North Pole. He doesn't even want, it's an endearing story. He doesn't even want to be Santa Claus. Santa Claus fell off a roof and then he becomes Santa Claus. It's absurd when you explain it. So it's like some kid the other day, he was going, wait a minute, he didn't know about Ninja Turtles. And he was like, so they're like Ninja Mutant Turtles. I'm like, well, yeah, when you say it like that. <laughs> it's an absurd concept, but he gets to the North Pole and he doesn't want to be Santa. But the head elf, Bernard, <laughs> see y'all laughing because you've seen it. He tells him, you don't got no choice. Santa fell off the roof, you're the big guy now. And this is what, and Tim Allen says, I don't want to be Santa, and this is what the head elf says. Then there would be millions of disappointed children around the world. You see, children hold the spirit of Christmas within their hearts. You don't want to be responsible for killing the spirit of Christmas, now would you, Santa? Quote, unquote, children hold the spirit of Christmas within their hearts. That kind of language pops up everywhere now. And there's nothing wrong with it if you understand what they're feeding you. Another newer Christmas movie that I'm becoming fond of, Polar Express. Raise your hand if you've seen that, Polar Express. I really like that movie. I like Tom Hanks on the, in that movie, too. How many people have ever... Raise your hand again if you've seen it. I want to make sure. Okay, all right. comes on ABC Family, like, all the time. It's about a bunch of kids who take a train ride to the North Pole. I'm not going to explain the whole concept. Um, but it's, it's kind of neat. And then they finally get to the North Pole, and it's, like, it's a big like, celebration because Santa's about to shoot off, and all the elves are kind of going... You know, dancing around, and Santa is getting on his sleigh, and they're about to shoot him off, and Christmas is about to happen. And then Santa gives this big bell to the kids, and this is what he says. This is what Santa says. This bell is a wonderful symbol of the spirit of Christmas, as am I. Just remember, the true spirit of Christmas lies in your heart. You pick up on that? It happens everywhere. All these movies, that's what they say. There it is again. The true spirit of Christmas lies in your heart. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not bashing these movies. But you can begin to see how American pop culture slowly, almost imperceptibly, starts to turn the focus of Christmas from Christ to you. For anyone who's ever read the Bible, we know that God has a vastly different message on Christmas. In fact, after thousands of years, if the Jewish people do understand one thing, it's this. The good news is not coming from anything inside of me. In fact, the problem is actually inside of me. In my heart. Fast forward 2,000 years... And we've inverted the message of the angels. See, the angels are coming and they're saying, it's all about God in the highest. Today, we've got thousands and thousands and thousands of parents across America saying, Christmas is all about my kids. It ain't about your kids. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. Roman and Ruby are absolutely adorable. It ain't about them. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is our portion. Jesus is our Savior. And actually, that's what it's about in verse 11. This is what the angel of the Lord says. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So it's impossible to understand Christmas today without understanding that this child was born to die. We can't talk about Christmas without talking about Easter. They're inextricable. You can't have one without the other. The glory of Christmas begins with the gospel message. In verse 10, the angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That Greek word that says, I bring you good news, that's euangelizomai, which is to evangelize. So he's literally saying, I evangelize you with great joy. This is the good news coming out of the angel's mouth. Christmas is about the gospel. Now the next time we see the word glory in this passage is in verse 14 when the angels say, Glory to God in the what? Highest. If you're like me, for years I used to sing Gloria I sang it as a kid. I had no idea what I was singing. Mom and dad were singing it, so I sang it. I mean, you'd be surprised how many kids have no idea what that means. I'm sorry, I wasn't raised in Latin. I didn't know what it would say. I was just, I'm just kind of, I remember I was in the youth choir, just, I didn't know what told me what that means. And honestly, it's just as simple as somebody coming, Avi, that means glory to God in the highest. I never, that never clicked to me until I was like 13 or 14. Oh, 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 we're singing that. Okay, good. The irony is that I was singing about giving glory to God and I wasn't giving glory to God. I was just uttering things from my mouth. And how often so many of us do that. See, that's what praise is. It's just giving glory to God in Christ. There is no such thing as praising God that isn't through Jesus. That's what these angels are doing. They're saying Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's goodness, His perfection, His love, His mercy, His kindness, His power, His grace, His deity. Jesus Christ, church, is the glory of God in the highest. Which is why we hear from countless Americans today, like, hey, I choose to, I, I, I'm a, I, I choose to follow God. I just don't think Jesus is the way to do it. Which is sad because this is what it's saying right here. This, this, this angel is saying Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is how you glorify God. In his famous book, The End for Which God Created the World, Jonathan Edwards once said, The most excellent actual knowledge and will that can be in the creature is the knowledge and love of God. And the most excellent knowledge of God is the knowledge of His glory or moral excellence. And the most excellent exercise of the will consists in esteem and love and a delight in His glory. You know how you spot a Christian on Christmas? They're excited about the opportunity to praise Jesus. The angels sing in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. If the spirit of Christmas is in our hearts, it's not anything we were born with, and it ain't sure as heck ain't coming from Santa. 
If the Spirit of Christmas is in our hearts, it's the Holy Spirit that brought my cold, dead heart back to life so that I could actually have joy in worshiping Jesus and crying, Abba, Father. This might come as a shock to you, but when I was in grade school, I was in the youth choir. I think more people should be in choir. I mean, I just didn't believe I should be because I was horrible. But Mom made me be in the choir. She listens to my sermons, by the way, and I'm going to stand by that. You made me do it. And December would roll around, and we'd have our big Christmas production. You know, I talked to Tim. Tim, that's one of Tim's big days is having his big, you know. And I remember Mom would get, Mom would get more excited about it than Grant and I would. Grant and I just get up there, she'd just doll us up, you know, and we'd get up there, and Mom would take the pictures. And I'd just kind of sway back and forth. Just... Y'all laugh? Kids aren't the only ones that do that. Grown-ups do that. That's the, that's the moral problem of the church today. People who show up and claim to give glory to God, but they don't have any enthusiasm, joy, delight, or any kind of oomph in their heart because they don't want Him. In order to glorify God, you got to want God. That's why the Holy Spirit came. That's why Jesus died. There's no such thing as glorifying God without valuing Him. When we saw the wise men, the wise men, I don't know if they were on camels. I mean, I've seen pictures. It doesn't say that in the text, but I mean, I'm assuming they took camels. I'm assuming they didn't walk. But think about riding a camel for a thousand miles, or wherever they came from in the Orient. At certain point, you know, at mile 723 on the camel, you finally got to go, this guy better be worth it. Why did they come and glorify Him? Why did they lay down their treasures? Because God was more infinitely valuable to them than anything they had. If we worship God, He must be of infinite worth. This, this baby is more to them than anything they've ever seen. These shepherds are going in faith. Someone today who comes to church, sometimes people don't even know anything about Jesus. They just came. And everybody, some people who walk up in these steps and come up in this deck, the only thing that brought them there was the Holy Spirit and faith. People who come to church who are not supported by... They've never been into church their entire lives. Their whole family may be against them. The only thing that's drawing them is they think, I need Jesus because I have nothing else. These shepherds have faith. Verse 16 says they went with haste. They wanted to be there. The, the Greek word spusantes kind of means they went hurriedly. They wanted to find Jesus. The last time that the word glory pops up is immediately after the shepherds find Jesus. Verse 20 says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That Greek word verb, doxantes, means to glorify. So now glory is a verb. The shepherds were told of Christ's glory, they beheld Christ's glory, and now they're giving Christ's glory. That's how it happens every single time. They were told of Christ's glory. They beheld Christ's glory. Now they're giving Christ's glory. This is what happens every single time God converts someone and saves them in Jesus. This is what happens. Today, Abby Todd is saved because it, someone told me about Jesus 
I realized my great need and desperation for Him. I saw how excellent and perfect a Savior He was, and now I give glory to Him for the rest of my life. That's the Christian life. The only way to glorify God is by first beholding Jesus. The first question in the Westminster Catechism reads, some of y'all may know it, what is the chief end of man? There he is. What's it say? Come on. You know the question, you don't know the answer. Go ahead. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, I can get the first one. Yeah, I'm here for God's glory. Almost everyone in here knows that. But I like the second part, too. See, the next part might might sound a little kind of extra or superfluous, like they just added it. No. You need both of them to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. There are some people who think you can glorify God without enjoying Him forever, and that's impossible. In order to glorify God, He must be our treasure. You know, when I think of that, for some reason I think of uh, Scrooge McDuck whenever he would dive into that giant pool of gold. Scrooge loved the gold, and he was always happy swimming in his gold. That's because he was an idolater and he needed to repent and be saved. But you, you will be happy and you will take joy in whatever your treasure is. Countless people today spend more time with their kids than God because they love their kids more than God. Countless people will go home tomorrow morning, they'll wake up, they'll, they'll eat their pancakes, they'll open up their treasures, they'll go under the tree, they'll take down the reefs, and God will not be mentioned and Christ will not be mentioned because He is not their treasure. Y'all are going through the Desiring God series. And if I had to boil down the Desiring God theme, which is really just, by the way, for y'all who are going through Desiring God, that whole thing is just talking about the New Covenant. That's all it is. I'm going to say the first part, and to make sure y'all are going through, frankly, I'm going to see if you've taught them well. This isn't Scripture. This is just summarizing what, I, what is clearly in the Bible. God is most glorified in us when... We are most satisfied in Him. All that's saying is you glorify God by esteeming Him over all things. Verse 19 is an important verse. You could miss it. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in their heart. You notice it doesn't say she treasured her child. This isn't talking about a mother love. It says she treasured all these things. She treasures the gospel. All that these shepherds had to say, she's treasuring them in their heart. Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew because they told her. The wise men walked thousands of miles because Jesus was their treasure. The shepherds heeded the angel's call because Jesus was their treasure. You know, I think today there is a new day every, like, there's Black Friday... There's like Cyber Monday. There's like a new... They're coming up with new days all the time now. I heard one the other day. It was uh, like the last day you have so that you can order something and be guaranteed it's going to get to your house for Christmas. Does anybody know that day? It has a name. Don't lie. Don't be embarrassed if one of you knows it. Every new... Like for example, this cell phone. I think this is like the most high-tech thing I've ever had. It's 
I got told the other day, as a matter of fact, I think it was Kelly who told me this thing's out of date. There's like three more versions since this phone. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, new clothing. I mean, I went to Pont City Market. They turned an entire Sears and Roebuck factory into like a high-priced mall, and I can't afford anything in it. And here, we're being told to treasure a baby more than all these things. I'm supposed to treasure this child in a manger more than I could ever treasure my own kids? I'm supposed to treasure this more than my own... Well, I don't have a house right now, but when I do have a house... More than my car? Jesus died and was raised so that your heart would not treasure things. And how that is so hard. Without the Holy Spirit opening up my eyes and flooding my heart with the love of Jesus, there would be no way I could worship Him and there certainly wouldn't be any way that I would give my, the throne of my heart to Him. We have to fight for joy. We have to fight to make Jesus our treasure. Because I'm telling you, if you grew up like me, I grew up in a nice home. My mom did everything on Christmas. She made me Belgian waffles. She got me anything I wanted. I remember waking up and I got a PS2. At that time, man, you better believe PS2 was like the thing. I'm, at that age, whatever, however I was, God was telling young Abby, you got to treasure me more than you could ever treasure a thing. That is our goal as parents and as sinners. Our goal is to wake up on Christmas morning and every single person in your house wakes up instead of going right to the presence, you pray. I remember my mom stopping us one time. I, I think she got convicted... In the Todd house, what you did was Grant and I got up like at five, and mom and dad slept till nine. So Grant and I were just kind of, you know, you couldn't go in. That was the one rule that dad enforced it because mom wanted it. You couldn't go in the living room because, of course, Santa had come and all the stuff was laid out. So you couldn't go in the living room. So we were Grant and I were just antsy trying to trying to just occupy ourselves. And when he got there, it was like a stampede. Mom and dad, you know, dad's kind of, it's kind of like the Christmas story. Dad's kind of wiping his eyes. Okay, all right, well, here we go. Oh, you know, mom's got her, right, well, got her camera. Every ounce of fiber in my being as a, as a 10-year-old, as a 16-year-old, as a 20-year-old, whatever, have it. Everything was, what did Santa bring? And that's not a bad thing. But I remember one, one year, this was when I was in high school, mom goes, hey, before we do, we're going to pray and we're going to read the Bible. And as your pastor today, I would like to tell you that we all went, sure, that's great. My brother and I looked at each other like, sure, I guess. I thank God for the courage and the strength that my mother had to stop us just for a second and say, we're going to make it about Jesus first. Thank God for her. Mothers, I'm going to tell you, and we've talked about this before, sometimes leading a home means the mother in the weak moments has to be the strongest one. 
Fathers, sometimes leading your home well doesn't mean just getting the best present. It means giving them the present. Hark the herald angels. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, my, my wife says I need to stop singing. but Hark the herald angels sing. Complete it. Glory to the... Peace on earth and... God and sinner... Well, there, you just, you just preach the gospel. Let me ask you this for a second. Does that, what you just sang, factor in at all tomorrow morning? Not, not just singing it and going home. Does what the angels sang, does the newborn king, does the peace on earth, and does reconciliation with a holy God factor into the way you open up your presence? Or do you just kind of petition God for an hour while you get to be an animalistic, indulgent American? Is God your King? Is Christ your Lord on Christmas morning? When I would dare say consumeristic America is at its deepest. <coughs> you know, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it was that Mom did that, I can look back and go... I don't have any of those toys now. I don't even, I don't even know what happened to the PlayStation. <laughs> Mom probably gave it away, like she did everything else. I don't have my toys. I sure as heck don't have my action figures. There is nothing I was given up until probably the age of 26 that I still have. It's all gone. And the only treasure that matters is the treasure that remains and the treasure that's before you today... And when Christ asks you to believe in Him and to repent of your sins, what He's asking you to do is saying, deny your own glory and behold mine. That's Christmas. Behold this God who took flesh. Behold your King. Are we giving glory to God on Christmas? Not because it's only on Christmas, but if it's ever a time to set aside culture and make the reason for the season Jesus at that point. I think it, I'm encouraging, I'm exhorting you now explicitly, parents, wives, husbands, stop and know that He is God. Verse 20 says that the shepherds were, quote-unquote, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. On Christmas, thank God that you have a home. On Christmas, thank God. Men, you better be thanking God you got a wife. Thank God that you have a job. Thank God that you have a family. Thank God that He's given you every single thing. God, thank God for this church. Thank God for Franklin's coffee. Thank God for everything He's given you and then devote it and consecrate it to Him in prayer and say all that I've been given and the presents I'm getting ready to open are for your glory and not mine. You have to fight to give God glory. It's not just something you can sing. It's something you have to offer from your heart. And the Holy Spirit was given and the blood of Jesus was shed so that He could be our treasure. Are we giving God glory on Christmas? Let us repent of our sins, turn away from our own glory, and behold His. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.
you are our treasure. We want to see your goodness. We want to see your kindness. We want to behold your humility. We want to see you for all of the perfections and the excellence that you have. Father, bring us to love more than your love. Bring us to love your holiness. We want all of you. We don't just want the things you can give us. We don't just want your gifts. We don't want to treat you like you're some Pez dispenser. Father, the gift is you. The gift is Jesus. Christmas is Mary because the King is here. And He took flesh and dwelt among us. Father, let us not neglect the glory of Christmas. And let us seek after your son Jesus with all our hearts. And all these things we ask in your son's name. Amen.